Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. I don't know if either of you saw the segment that Bill Maher did on his show last weekend about the Oscars. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Well, you're probably better off that you didn't, but I'll, I'll tell you about it. Uh, it. You know, he did a whole thing about how the Oscar movies are so you know, depressing, and, and that's why no one wants to see them. The Oscars need to change their name to the Debbies, as in Debbie Downer. <laughs> because judging by this year's Best Picture nominees, you couldn't have a worse time at the movies if there was an active shooter in the theater. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. <laughs> Once again, this is Lou Katz, and I want to welcome you to the podcast that does its best to keep you informed on the ever-changing <laughs> world of entertainment. And boy, is, is that an understatement. We, we want to welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, the one, the only, Jen Chaney. Not be the only. I think we need a fact check there. <laughs> and this week's guest critic writes for RogerEber.com and Pajaba.com, one of our longtime friends, and we always love having her on. Let's hear it for Rocky Adati. Hey, guys. Rocky. Hello, hello. Damn from Rocky. <laughs> and smack dab in the middle, senior <laughs> entertainment reporter, Arch Campbell. And when I mean senior, yes. he he has got his uh, AARP card to show for it. <laughs> yes. I've been vaccinated twice for the uh, crop of movies that's come out this year. So here we are, and uh, it's always fun to be here. And let's start with what are we watching and recommending this week? Jen Cheney, what's on your uh, agenda? I wanted to mention a new show called Rutherford Falls. It's on Peacock, uh, and it's it's a comedy, but it's about some serious issues. Uh, it stars Ed Holmes as, or Ed Helms, excuse me, as like the last person in his in his family that lives in this town of Rutherford Falls, and he's very obsessed with his heritage but he has a lot of blind spots uh, as a white man um, with regard to his heritage. 400 years ago, my patriarchal ancestor, Lawrence Rutherford, founded our town. Anyone see the resemblance? I definitely see it. <laughs> it's in the jaw, the shoulders, the chest, and probably some other places. <laughs> okay. So it's really looking at that and like the Native American community in that area. And it was created by Sierra Teller Ornelas, and Mike Schur, who did The Good Place and um, Parks and Rec, among other things, and Ed Helms. And um, many of the writers on this are Native or Indigenous people. Um, a lot of the actors are. And um, Sierra Taylor-Nellis is, is Navajo. So it's really, I think, kind of a watershed moment, certainly in TV comedy, for having that kind of representation and telling Native American stories, too, in a way that is, still has some levity to it, but is actually talking about representation in really important ways. So and maybe starts, if it catches fire, it'll go on uh, NBC, uh, the broadcast network. That that hasn't seemed to be happening so much. Um, you know, oh. like Saved by the Bell, they never put that on NBC. Um, they've got another show um, that Tina Fey co-created that comes out next month called Girls 5 Eva. That's about like a sort of... Uh, girl band kind of like the Spice Girls that like, tries to get back together mm -hmm. in middle age. And I don't, I think they're really just trying to drive people to, you know, their streaming site. So I'm not oh, sure that. Wow. So this, so Rutherford Falls drops um, on Thursday and I've seen the first four, but all of the episodes will drop all at once. 
So you can Ooh, see the whole thing. That sounds interesting. Now, Rocky Adati, we, Adati, we always love it when you're uh, with us. What are you watching this week? Um, what I am watching this week is I really enjoyed this new horror movie called In the Earth which is from filmmaker Ben Wheatley, who has sort of like a little bit of a checkered filmography. He did the very bad Rebecca remake on Netflix, which mm. like was terrible. Um, yes. But he also has done some like really interesting sort of bleak films, including High Rise and Free Fire. And In the Earth, filmed and written over a couple weeks last year, during the pandemic. So it addresses like the changed world in which we're living right now. And it is about a scientist and park ranger who go into a forest to find another scientist who has stopped like radioing in. We had to send a rescue party in to get a group out a couple of months ago. They got lost. Why didn't they use GPRS? There's no fun reception in there. People get a bit funny in the woods sometimes. It has like some Blair Witch elements. It has some Midsummer elements. It's pretty gross. I, I, I'm probably not selling it very well, but, <laughs> but I really I really enjoyed it and found it very unsettling. And I think it was sort of an interesting moment in folk horror. Horror movies are kind of your thing, aren't they? Sort of. I, I, mean, I think <laughs> I don't really like slasher stuff, but I do sort of like the more like unsettling, weird, uh, could a mushroom kill you type of movie. And that's sort of what this is. <laughs> So I enjoyed that. And I also yeah. surprised myself by really enjoying this new Netflix series called Shadow and Bone, um, mm. which comes out on Friday. It's adapted from like a best-selling series of YA novels. And I really liked it because I think it sort of avoids some of the Netflix traps. It's only eight episodes, not 13. And it actually has a sense of restraint, which I really liked. And it feels like their next big, you know, like attempting to be Game of Thrones fantasy series. Our enemies are threatened by your mere existence. The whole world will be after you. The prize is one million Kruger. And I was surprised by how much I liked it. Cool. And uh, you also mentioned Mayor of Easttown, which I oh, yeah. uh, watched this weekend on HBO Max and really like with Kate Winslet and uh, Jean Smart. And uh, Jen, you had recommended that last week and I'm completely hooked. Yeah, I love Rocky's the character. writing recaps of, of the episodes for us. Uh -huh. Vulture. Yeah, I'm writing about it for Vulture. Jen did the amazing initial review for Vulture. I also was surprised by how totally in on it I was. Like I, I got five episodes and I was like, I'll do this right. I'll. I'll watch them week to week, but instead I watched all five in one day because I couldn't stop. <laughs> yeah, I and envy I, both. I found of it you. very compelling. And by the uh, end of five, I'm just like, I need six right now. <laughs> right I'm now. Really intense and, and uh surprising. Yeah. So uh Jen, you wrote the review and uh Rocky, you're you're writing the uh recaps, and the cast of characters is very interesting. And I just I want to get a word from both of you just about the uh, the number of characters and the response to uh, kind of the harshness of our world uh, of uh, single motherhood and broken marriages. You want to take that, Rocky? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just very easy question to answer. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. So right. I figured I'd um, let you do it. 
I, well, one thing I would say is that like, I, I'm always disappointed in myself by being surprised by how good Kate Winslet is. I am very proud of this show, you know, and it's rare for me to say that out loud. You know, I, I hate to kind of like blow my own trumpet and I try and be really humble, but the show is so great. Like, I feel like I always get reminded and I forget. But yeah, it is, it's a very, it feels like a broad cast, but I also think that at this point we've sort of met everybody in this community already. And I think the show does a very good job establishing what all of these connections are and how like when you grow up in a small town and you stay in that small town, there is so much like ingrained history that you share with these people. I mean, people that you know from high school, people that you know from church, people that you know from work. And so it definitely felt like being sort of thrown into the narrative, but I, I think it does a good job making clear how Mare is both central to a lot of these stories and also very ancillary. Like, I think it strikes a good balance in that. And yeah, it's very much, I think, about the experiences of women and all of that entails, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but just sort of that sense of the responsibilities and domestic labor that are so ingrained and expected of us and what happens when that fails. I want to throw in a word about uh, the uh, intergenerational uh, aspect of it. I mean, there are there are four generations displayed uh, right there, which um, is is very important. I think, and uh, and makes it uh, highly interesting. So I'm a big fan. Jen, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. Well, well, first, uh, I just want to say that the fact that Kate Winslet is a grandmother in this show is deeply unsettling <laughs> for me personally. Um, the math checks out more yeah. or less because she was you know, became a mother at a young age, and her son became a father at a young age. But nevertheless, but another thing that's interesting to me is the way that. Um, because as Rocky was saying, she, she's from a small town and everybody knows who she is, both because of her notoriety on the basketball team when she was in high school, and also because she's a detective working on some high profile cases. She has an extra hurdle to get over when she's looking at people and trying to decide, could this person be responsible? And she's going through that kind of checklist constantly with people that she's known for many, many years. And because, you know, in a lot of kind of procedurals, this idea that could this person have done it and could this person have done it can feel very gimmicky, but because it's such a kind of ingrained part of her emotional journey, I, I felt like it worked in a different way for me, if that makes any sense at all. I, I just really like the way that it, this is a crime show, but it has other things going on that are all like interwoven within that process of figuring out, you know, what's really happening with these, these girls. Yeah. And I suppose I like that it's dropping week by week, even though, uh, I resent it. <laughs> like you, I want to I want to binge them. Hey, uh, I stumbled onto Made for Love on HBO Max. Does that surprise uh, either of you? That you stumbled on it? <laughs> that I, I stumbled on it. Not only did I stumble on it, I binged it. I couldn't stop watching it. I loved it. It's uh, oh, wow. who is this woman? Kristen Migliotti. Yeah. She was in uh, Palm Springs and uh, she did some sitcom work too. And she is um, the wife of a, of a high tech mogul who wants to insert and actually does insert a chip in her brain and she's not having it. So she escapes this, this pod, this, uh, this created world where they live. And it's a hilarious blend of science fiction, feminism, 
comedy and horror all at once. And I, I was, I totally uh, was thrilled by it. And I, and I imagine there's going to be a second season. There'd better be a second season. I have not watched. Jen, have you watched? Yeah, I did. I, I in fact, I, I can't remember if I talked about it on here. If I, I just yeah, you, you, have, you mentioned it here. Did I? Okay, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember what I've said or where I've said it anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it, I, I maybe didn't like it quite as much as you did, Arch, um, because it, some of it felt like familiar, like I'd seen some of these themes addressed. Yeah, in other yeah. Shows before, um, but I think Kristen Milioti is great. I think the whole cast is great. Ray Romano plays her dad and, and mm. their kind of father-daughter chemistry is, is really wonderful. I can't remember how many I got. I think I got There's eight. Right. I think I only was given the first four. So I have to watch the remaining episodes. So the uh, the finale will uh, surprise you without giving much away. And I think the finale sets up a second season. Mm hmm. Because I've been looking for something to binge, and uh, I couldn't wait to see the next one. You know, and so, and that is what I hate about the other HBO show, Mayor of uh, of Eastham, that I can't binge it. But mm -hmm. this I could, so that was nice. So uh, this week is the Oscar Awards. Finally, the Oscar show arrives Sunday nights. And uh, what do we think? And shall we predict what we think will happen? But first, uh, <laughs> what do we think of the, of the show and the awards? And where are they? Where are we with them? You know, I got a little <laughs> more intrigued just based on the way that Steven Soderbergh, who's one of the producers, was describing mm. this concept of it's, 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 it's going to be an award show as a movie. Because everything- Like a movie. movie. It's I like don't know what movie. that means. I have no idea what that means. Um, yeah, I have no clue. But I, I but now I'm like, okay, I, I'm curious to find out. I know they've they've really expanded on ABC what they're doing. Like they're starting at 6:30 with a pre-show that's not the typical red carpet pre-show. Actually, all of the oh. best song nominees will be performed during the pre-show, so it won't be during the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems like they they were doing more of a, a kind of critical rethink of what the ceremony should be and and how to honor everything that they normally honor but like maybe cut some of the fat out of it and uh so i'm i'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out I, I don't think it's going to be widely watched but we'll see yeah i don't think it'll be widely watched i also think i read something that was like sort of depressing recently about how um people don't seem to be watching a lot of the movies that are nominated and it was a weird year like i understand that it felt difficult to find a lot of these movies but so many of them are on streaming <laughs> at this point that I just sort of feel like you can watch them they're available but I think the strange tenor of this year and maybe a lot of these movies not necessarily being um like super high profile means that people won't watch the ceremony but like tons of great movies I mean we can get into nominations or whatever but there are so many movies that I loved that were nominated this year so I don't and know. actually I think that the uh the nominees are about uh, the normal kind of films that are nominated. Given that the, uh, the nominees have changed over the years and have gotten more edgy and more uh, independent cinema-minded, I, you know, I think the nominees, uh, there were some, some wide releases in there and a lot of good uh, independent things. Well, let's see what we think. Who, who's going to win Best Supporting Actor? <laughs> 
Are we just going to yell it out? Hallelujah. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah. He's won every precursor award at this point. So it would be. Yeah, his, uh, his competition is uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in Trial of the Chicago Seven, and whom I thought was very good. I, I don't know if you all agree or not. Leslie Odom Jr. and One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami never got much traction. I was surprised. Paul Racy and Sound of Metal, which was just a terrific movie. Yeah. And uh, Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah. He, and he, he is the, uh, he's from Get Out, the character who screams Get Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Daniel Kaluuya seems to be uh, the uh, and 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 he was quite good uh, in uh, Judas and the and the Black Messiah. And he also from Get Out. So yeah, yes. I mean, I do think exactly. that uh, I think Jen's onto something. He seems to have won everything leading up to this, and I think he gives probably the most heartfelt and passionate performance in that movie. So I would I would expect that he would win, but my heart is also with Paul Racy, who I'm so happy got a nomination. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, best supporting actress, uh, anybody? This uh, this is turning into maybe a surprise. Hmm. Yoon Jung Yoon of Minari has won a lot of these awards as the grandmother in Minari, which is a terrific another terrific movie that I think would have been nominated whatever year, but she's against Amanda Seyfried in Mank, Olivia Coleman in The Father, Glenn Close, <laughs> Hillbilly Elsie, I Remember Mama. <laughs> That's Jen's line, and I've stolen it. No, it wasn't my line, I don't think. I think it's somebody at Vulture think, came up with that. Yeah, I think I, think I stole it from somebody else. That's a great line. Uh, Maria Baklova in Borat's subsequent movie film. Who best supporting actress? What do we think? I mean, I'm I'm looking at the SAGs as as the most reliable mm-hmm. indicator, and they gave it to uh, Yu Jung Yoon from Minari. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was such, if you were watching, there was such an obvious feeling of delight by the other actors who were in that category. They were so happy for her, uh, which made me think that you know the act, a lot of the actors in the actors branch would be supporting her so that's that's my prediction i could be wrong but that's my prediction i agree with jen i i could maybe see there being a maria bakalova upset but i also think that her nomination sort of like paul racy's is like an acknowledgement of like you did something awesome you haven't gotten to this level before like your nomination is the win so i could maybe see that but i (laughs) I do think she's the most memorable performance out of this uh, out of this batch. But I love Minari. I mean, all the awards that Minari will hopefully win are deserved. Uh, the other best... knock, knock against Bakalova is it, she's in a comedy, and just in general, yes. yeah. the Oscars are not great about rewarding comedy performances or comedies. Yeah. Period. Best actor. That's been a lock since award season started. That's Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey, and he was awfully good in that. Yeah. And what a loss. Yeah. I, I, I firmly believe he would have been nominated. This was not just a let's honor him because mm-hmm. he passed away. He would have been nominated for that under any circumstance. And I can't imagine them not giving him the award. Although, you know, I think I, I've read some people saying maybe Reese Ahmed will get it for Sound of Metal. Like he, he's kind of 
second in line, if you will, and he gave mm -hmm. a terrific performance um, in that film. But I just think it's going to be hard to overcome Chadwick Boseman. A lot of people like Stephen Yoon in Minari, mm -hmm. who's yeah. also uh, there, but you don't think he's second in line. No, uh, I, mean, I like Beth, his performance too, but yeah, yeah, no traction. Yeah, I think I mean my again in terms of like where my heart is, my heart is with Riz, and sort of in my dream scenario. I think that Chadwick should have been nominated and won for De Five Bloods, but I also think uh, I'm just sort of surprised that De Five Bloods didn't get any sort of awards traction whatsoever. So I think I also am weathering that bias as well. I, I thought he was awfully strong in Ma Rainey. I thought he yeah. was awfully good. Uh, best actress. This is the wild card one. This is the one that's really uh -huh. hard to predict because uh -huh. every every award show has gone a different way, pretty much. So at the moment, again, because I'm I'm using the SAGs as my most reliable indicator, I'm thinking Viola Davis. Um, mm. But I, I I wouldn't be surprised if anybody won at this point because it it, it you know they've all been recognized. I wouldn't be surprised no if Carrie Mulligan wins for a promising young woman. There's really a lot of talk about that, and she was. She carried that movie. That's uh, uh But I feel like Frances McDormand did the same thing with Nomadland. I thought Frances McDormand was going to have a lock on it as soon as uh the awards came out, but who knows. I mean, yeah. I think I think she's she's already won twice. And one yeah. of her wins was fairly recent. So, mm -hmm. and I think I I hope and this is not a knock on Frances McDormand at all who I love, but I I hope that the mm -hmm. Academy voters are starting to think about fresh faces right. and and honoring different people which would bode well for a, a carrie mulligan potentially or even an andrew day although i just feel like that movie just didn't aside from her performance that movie didn't really get much of a warm reception but the thing about carrie mulligan is that she the only award she's won so far of the big ones is like the critics choice award she hasn't gotten you know a golden globe or a sag or any of the or bafta or any of those other kinds of awards so which makes me think that maybe there's not as much support behind her, but I feel like I feel like Promising Young Woman is going to get the the screenplay nomination or the the win, sure. yeah, um, and that will be its its award. But I don't know. So maybe do we think Viola Davis or Frances McDormand? I think Viola. Uh, I think it's either Viola or Carrie. Those are my mm -hmm. those are my choices. Carrie got something in the British in the BAFTAs, though, didn't she? Or may no, maybe it she was. She didn't a, even get. She didn't even she get didn't, nominated for the BAFTAs, I think, which is what was uh, the, the a film shocker. got something. Hmm. Well, okay. And then uh, best picture appears to be Nomadland. Uh, the others: Trial of the Chicago Seven, Sound of Metal, it's awfully good. Promising Young Woman, that's such a good movie. Minari. Mank, Mank got no traction this year. Judas and the Black Messiah kind of came out of nowhere. And The Father, I thought was awfully good, but nobody's seen it. Uh, I've been a fan of Nomadland since, uh, since I first saw it. I have yeah. no idea, <laughs> Jen. <laughs> I have no idea. I thought it was Nomadland. I thought that was a lock. But then I feel like Minari came on really strong. And I I cannot tell. I do not know. As long, well, I won't say what I was going to say. Jen? No, say, say. <laughs> no. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, Ooh. as long as it's not Trial of the Chicago 7, but that felt like a personal attack on Arch, which I did not want to do. <laughs> well, I didn't Only say I wanted 
try that's only a personal right. attack on Aaron Sorkin, not on Arch. <laughs> I personally but attack uh, Arch all the time. He's he's all right with it. <laughs> I'm easy to attack. <laughs> I don't Help like doing yourself. it. I feel bad now. I'm gonna carry <laughs> this guilt. It's not, it's not against him. It's it's True. the movie. Yeah. You don't like and Trial of the Chicago Seven just because it's a standard issue uh historic biography Aaron Sorkin word salad. Yes, thank you, Arch. <laughs> See? <laughs> yes. It's so, an know. old school movie. And so is Mank. Yeah. I mean, my right. favorite is Mank, but I'm an mm -hmm. old guy. So uh and I know that it's not gonna come close. I like Nomad Land because it's something new. It's fiction and nonfiction mixed. Uh, it's documentary and nonfiction. I, I thought it was just terrific. And can we agree on Chloe Zhao of Nomadland as uh, best yeah. director? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a definitive yes. Yeah. The, the thing about the best picture category though is I agree. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Nomadland, mm -hmm. and I like that movie very much. But it's it's been getting a lot of pushback, not just about the depiction of Amazon, but there was a really scathing piece in Slate today um, oh, about that. how that movie uh, is kind of reinforcing certain stereotypes about poverty that people who are poor are choosing to be poor, which is a, a really interesting argument to make. I, I was not something I thought about when I was watching it. There was a really interesting piece in uh, Jacobin Mag, which admittedly is a socialist magazine, so might not get tons of traction or reads. But um, it, I thought it made a very interesting point about movie has tons of emotional truth in terms of like you understand why Frances McDormand's character would make these choices purely for herself. But in terms of like depicting the community of these nomads and these travelers, and of course it's depiction of Amazon and sort of the idea of like Jen just said, like choosing poverty because it feels more pure or whatever, um, that in that way, the movie sort of isn't doing exactly what it thinks it's doing. So I, I don't know. At the same time, though, I just feel like, could this be something that would derail it? I'm not mm. sure. I don't know. Right. I mean, and the other thing is, if, if something else wins, I do think it would be Minari. Mm -hmm. And not only because that is uh, a really lovely film, but if the Academy wanted to really make a strong statement, you know, um, about Asian Americans at a time when they're being, you know, literally attacked in the streets, um, right. I think that could help it a little bit. But I don't know if the pushback is going to really affect whether people vote for Nomadland or not. I just think it's really interesting, the conversation around it. Yeah, and I think it also makes a point too. I saw sort of people saying like, you know, like this happens every year, like people attack the front runner, like it's just what people do in terms of film writing. But I think especially in this year, it's like, it feels like people are just catching up with movies like months after the fact, right? Like Nomadland has been on Hulu, I think for two months now. And it's like, when do people really watch movies now? It feels like it's not the same movie opened on Friday, everybody saw it on Friday, and then we're all talking about it for like a week bubble. Um, it feels very different from that. I mean, I saw <coughs> Sound of Metal at the Toronto Film Festival in 2019, <laughs> you know? Wow. So it's wow. like, yeah, in September. So I Yikes. just feel like there has been like a very long distribution period at this point. So yeah. these conversations are just gonna keep happening. Sound of Metal is also a movie I would love to see win like a bunch of technical awards, although I don't Certainly think it's gonna nominated. Win sound. Certainly if gonna it doesn't win sound, sound something's very wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. but I, I also feel like there's 
you know, in the same way that people have said there's more to Nomadland than the Amazon subplot, I do think there's more happening to Sound of Metal than just the sound. Mm. Um, but also a movie that I'm just glad that seems to be out there. It's on Amazon. Just watch it. <laughs> By the way, you reminded me the other day I read that uh, the question of the future for entertainment will be, what was the last movie you saw without pausing? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's very valid. Yeah, getting pause. Yeah, (laughs) like, are we watching movies like movies, or are you watching movie like a TV episode where you just pause like half an hour in? It's like, all right, I'll get back to it later. Actually, honestly, I wonder if it's going to affect content that we're watching them at home on TV. Maybe, but remember they tried to do Quibi and that failed, and that was sort of designed to be the quick bite, and I think people rejected that. So I don't I don't really know how much it changes what we watch or don't watch. And people are still going to movie theaters, right? Like Godzilla vs. Kong, I think, still did OK. Yeah. So I think, you know, people still sort of crave that experience to a certain degree. Doesn't well, mean they don't take out their phones during the movie. But <laughs> I think people yeah. still like the theater experience. Well, speaking of taking out your phone, Lou Katz. Uh, <laughs> allows us to use his studio facilities at Hound Radio. And we always like to hear about what's going on, the Hound. Well, when you lift up the floppy ears on the Hound, you will find that we are paying attention to the real estate situation here in the DMV. We have a weekly feature with our broker, Karen Parness. Here's what she has to say. Hound Radio has another home real estate tip for you. According to MSNBC, Google reported last week that the search question, when is the housing market going to crash, has spiked by 2,500% in the last month. And in the most telling indication that the market is in a bubble, how much over asking price should I offer in a home in 2020, jumped 350% in one week. According to the chief economist of CoreLogic, this trend is very concerning because that's the mindset of an auction market. But with asking prices starting to flatten and a decline in mortgage applications, we could be seeing signs of buyers dropping out of the market due to lack of inventory. Builders are slowly increasing production and with more Americans getting vaccinated and anticipation of the economy opening up more, there are hopes of revitalizing cities and their condos and taking some stress away from the suburban competition. That, along with responsible mortgage practices, indicate that while we may have a cooling of the market, while probably not this year, it is likely that we will not have a market crash. I'm Karen Parness for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. The actress Helen McCrory uh, passed away at age 52, which was sort of a terrible uh, surprise. Uh, she was Tony Blair's wife and the queen. If you want to have a serious conversation about, I about the Constitution. We don't have one. About ways in which we as a government could phase out hereditary privileges, then fine. But, you know, spare me the whole off-with-their-heads thing. Why? Because it insults your intelligence. And appeared as uh, Mrs. Malfoy in several of the Harry Potter films. Uh, Any uh, thoughts about Helen McCrory? Did a lot of work on stage in England. Yeah, that... um... I, by coincidence, I was on um, a BBC show earlier in the week and Mm. was listening to a segment before me about her um, and and someone talking about her stage work that 
I was like, wow, I wish I had been able to see her in something because yeah. um, that was where it sounds like she did. Not that her other work wasn't very good as well, mm -hmm. but where she made her just a huge impact. Yeah. And I, I feel like for me, I noticed her obviously in Harry Potter and then I haven't kept up with Peaky Blinders very much. Um, All right. But she felt like the best part of that show. I mean, aside from how personally attractive I find Killian Murphy, I always felt like she was giving the best performance on that show in terms of adding a lot of, you know, passion and heart to this men being terrible with gangster lifestyle story. So I might go back and try to finish that just because her work was so strong. And her husband, Damian Lewis, wrote a really beautiful piece in memory of her that I yeah. think is good reading. So Jen, would you like to throw flashbacks and favorites at us? The uh, question of the week? Sure. With the Oscars coming up, what I had on my mind is what your favorite Oscars ceremony is. And not necessarily because of who won, but just because it was memorable or surprising or whatever. Hmm. Um, I don't remember. Actually, maybe I do remember. Was it 97 or 98? Maybe. Whatever year that Elliot Smith performed mm. um, was probably my favorite because I really, he's one of my favorite all-time singer-songwriters and I love Goodwill Hunting so much and it was such a surprise for him to even do the music for that movie and then also to perform on stage and obviously it was the year that Titanic won everything and my heart will go on won everything and he was sort of overshadowed but it really felt like a merging of like this very melancholy sad mm. wonderful singer-songwriter on as huge of a stage as the Oscars so Whatever year that was, Jen, that's my answer. I think it was, I think you're right. I think it was 98 or something mm -hmm. like that. Rocky, you are reminding me of the year the uh, Oscar went to, it's hard out here for a pimp. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the <laughs> performance that came with it, I thought would end the category, but they still have it. They still have it. And, you know, and we also still do hip hop song performances. Eminem, well, for whatever reason, last year. I mean, there yeah. was no reason for Lose Yourself to be performed, but it was amazing. So, yeah. Jen, what's your Enough favorite? This ceremony has not aged well at all, mm -hmm. but in terms of being surprising, uh, I believe it was either 2001 or 2002, which was the year that Michael Moore um, made every documentarian get on stage while he uh, excoriated George W. Bush. Uh, it was the year that Adrian Brody won and like kissed Halle Berry on the mouth, which, you know, yeah. not great, mm, but, but the rest yeah. of that part, the excitement and surprise of that was actually very delightful. Um, also the year that, uh, what's his face, the guy who directed that movie, the Adrian Brody, the, you know, the rapist, what's his name? Oh, <laughs> Polanski. Yeah, Polanski. Yeah, Roman Polanski. Yeah. That was the year the Roman Polanski won, which was kind of surprising. So it was just, it was yeah. just kind of a wild ceremony. So that one really sticks in my mind, even though I, I don't endorse the things that happened, but just right. really, but from a surprise standpoint, it was interesting. What, what year did Angelina Jolie say she was in love with her brother? Because I love that <laughs> year as well. <laughs> was, that the same, I don't, was that the same year? Oh my God, was it? What a chaotic what a ceremony if that's the what same What was year. in the water that year? <laughs> I'm in shock. And I'm so in love with my brother right now. <laughs> he just held me and said he loved me. And I know he's so happy for me. I want to quickly go back to the year that Hearts and Minds won Best Documentary. It must have been 1971. And Bob Hope was emceeing. And he and Frank Sinatra 
literally uh, had a meltdown right on the stage. It Love was it. Right versus left in, in <laughs> 1971. Maybe that'll be Aaron Sorkin's next movie. Man, <laughs> so, Art. Man. Hey, thank oh. you both. Thanks. So, it's so much fun to talk with all of you. And thank you for being here. And Lou, will you wrap us up? Well, I want to go back to 1963. If I mention the name to you all, Irving Berlin, what does that bring up? Mm, I think he wrote a few songs. Yeah, he wrote a few. Well, I want to, I want to wrap up this <laughs> particular podcast with Ethel, Ethel Merman singing, There's No Business. <laughs> Like show business, like show business. Like yeah. will, show business. Will we be able to hear it? <laughs> yes, you will when, when when you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> he was kind of loud, as I remember. <laughs> Enjoy, and we will catch you next week right here, same place, same time. There's no business like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything that traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. Yesterday they told you you would not go far. That night you open and there you are. Next day on your dressing room they hung a star. Let's go. Costumes, the scenery, the makeup, the props, the audience that lifts you when you're down. The headaches, the heartaches, the backaches, the flops, the sheriff who escorts you out of town. The opening when your heart beats like a drum. The closing when the customers don't come. There's no like no business I know You get word before the show has started That your favorite uncle died at dawn And top of that your partner has parted You're broken hearted But you go on There's no people like no people They smile when they are low Even when the turkey that you know will fold This is the CATS Podcasting System.